You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. And he is the, a community educator for Am Yisrael Foundation. That is our uh, parent organization. He is extremely accomplished and extremely well-traveled. So he knows a little bit of something from everywhere. He attended Cornell University where he re- and received his rabbinic ordination from Yeshiva University. He has a PhD in Jewish philosophy from NYU or New York University right around the corner. He has lectured widely as a guest speaker on various Jewish topics. Two and a half years ago, he made Aliyah with his family. I can't believe that it's been two and a half years and it makes sense because we both arrived right at the same time. And you can find his blog, Living in Israel, and his podcast, Jewish Matters Online. We will add those links in. He is a busy man, but he always saves time for the Sunset Series, and he always saves time to educate. And I'll tell you that he meditates, and he guides a lot of beautiful meditation services, and has even guided me out of migraines and headaches, and taught me lots of great breathing techniques, and he's very well-rounded, and he is going to talk to us today about the birthday of trees, why trees are important, and not only why they're important, but how Jews honor and celebrate trees as a part of our identity, our peoplehood, what, what trees mean to us. And um, I think, as much as I'm sure everyone here thinks, that it's very important to observe and care for trees. So let's find out how we can do that. Thank you, Rabbi Feldman. The floor is yours. Thank you, Shana. And uh, great to have you all here tonight. Tubishat is a great holiday. Our topic, our title formally, is Jewish Tree Huggers, Tubishat, and Environmentalism. And we'll have to explore how those connections are made. Now, when I was a kid, Tubishat, uh, what I remember is that we would bring in some tzedakah, charity money, and uh, it would go towards planting a tree in Israel. And we would get a certificate afterwards, the class got together and got a certificate that our tree had been planted. So how did this come about? That Tubishvat became the tree planting holiday and from there morphed into a Jewish environmental ecological celebration. So when the Jews started arriving, uh, first Zionists, first Aliyah, one of the biggest obstacle struggles they had was that the land had to be um, had to be re, re, reseeded and there were really a lot of um, uh, a lot of the land was very barren and particularly the trees had been deforested and um, so that we had to uh, go about planting trees so on uh, Tishbab of 1890 Right. This is even before Theodore Herzl, if you think about it, on that Tubishvat, uh, 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 Rabbi Zev Yavetz, who was one of the founders of the Mizrahi movement, he uh, took it, his students and they began to plant trees in Zirchon Yaakov, which was one of the agricultural settlements it's in the Carmel Mountains. And a few years later, uh, by 1908, it was adopted by the Jewish Teachers Union of the Jewish National Fund. So it started spreading. And in the early 20th century, the JNF uh, made one of its main goals to reforest 
uh, Israel. So in fact, we look out our window and we see the mountains that have been reforested. So um, uh, that became uh, a main theme which was linked to, to Tubishvat with the early Zionists. And, um, and then from there, it, uh, it grew. They say that last year, there were uh, a million Jews involved in planting trees on Tubishvat within Israel, outside of Israel. Of course, unfortunately, our, this might've been actually, yeah, a year ago. And then unfortunately this year, I think it's uh, been tapered back, obviously, although I'm sure there'll be like ours, a lot of online programs that people can participate in. And particularly uh, planting eucalyptus trees helped dry up a lot of the marshes and uh, which were causing malaria. So trees played a central role in uh, rebuilding the land of Israel. And from there, now, how did, why, what is the origins of Tubishvat if we go back? Uh, so one of the uh, statements in the Mishnah, in the uh, basis for the Talmud says, what is Tubishvat? It says that there are four Rosh Hashanahs. We think Rosh Hashanah is in Tishrei in the fall, but actually there are four Rosh Hashanahs in Jewish tradition. And the Rosh Hashanah, it says, for trees is on the 15th of the month of Shvat. So two Tetvav is a numerical value of 15. Shvat is the month that we are now in. And so it's a new year for trees. What does that mean, new year for trees? Does that mean the trees pop open some bubbly and start celebrating? Uh, maybe in the Wizard of Oz, the trees speak, or in the... Uh, um, but uh, for most of us- Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, Lord of the Rings. Um, but for most of us, they don't. So what is it? Uh, how can the trees have a Rosh Hashanah? So it's how we count the mitzvot, the commandments in the Torah that revolve around trees. And one particularly, which is the mitzvah of Bikurim. Bikurim means the first fruits. And the custom was, and this is a very beautiful mitzvah. Imagine that you're a you're a uh, you're a, you're a uh, you're a farmer, which not only the early Zionists were farmers, but in the times of the Talmud, most Jews were farmers. We worked the land. That's what we did from when the Jewish people entered after the Exodus to to our times. We were farmers. So you're a farmer, and you've stored up all your produce over the winter, and you see it going down and reducing, and you're looking forward to the spring so that you'll have it. And that first bud that appears, which shows you you're going to have new crop of fruit, you take a string, you tie it around that first bud on the tree. And when the fruit then ripens, you bring it to Jerusalem and it's eaten in Jerusalem. And there's a very beautiful uh, event they have, Havad Bikurim, they would, have, they would walk through the streets of Jerusalem. Everyone would come out in the streets. They'd be playing music. They'd be dancing. And it was brought to the temple. And in fact, the, uh, and they would declare, but with the Kohen holding a basket and his hands under their hands, they would make a declaration of God having given us the land. In fact, the text of that is in the 
Agadah of Passover. So, uh, so Bikurim was the first fruits. And imagine you're waiting all winter for that new fruit. And the first one that comes, you dedicate it to the Almighty. Kind of like, you know, you're in college, you're in grad school, you finally get your first job. And what do you do with your first paycheck? You give it to charity, right? That'd be a really powerful thing. So that is the mitzvah of Bikurim. And so the question is, when do you bring this fruit? So which year's crop is it part of? So if it budded before Tu B'Shvat, it's part of the previous year. If it budded after Tu B'Shvat, it's part of the next year. That's what Tu B'Shvat does. It delineates how we count uh, all of the mitzvot with trees, and we'll talk about many more of them uh, as, we go, as we go on. But what then happened is that um, in the 1970s, with uh, environmentalism kind of rising to the fore as part of the counterculture movement, Earth Day, uh, the Jewish renewal movement, so Tu B'Shvat kind of became uh, the Jewish Arbor Day slash Earth Day. And that's where it got connected to environmentalism. Now, we can back up 500 years. One of the steps along the way was from the Kabbalist in Svat in the 1600s, and particularly the Arizal, Rabbi Isaac Luria. They celebrated Tu B'Shvat. They created the Tu B'Shvat Seder, where they would drink different wines of different colors, which represent different Kabbalistic concepts. And I'm not gonna go through the whole Kabbalistic Seder tonight, but they would eat fruit. And here's a date. Uh, I'm married, even if you're married, you need date night. So Baruch HaTah Adonai Lehinam Elech HaOlam Borei Pri HaEitz. Amen. And by the way, make sure you buy dates that are from Israel and not from Turkey. Uh, it's an extra mitzvah to eat the fruit of the land of Israel, which we believe is infused with the kedusha, with the holiness of the land. It's very sad. Most grape juice in Israel today and most inexpensive wines are not from Israel. There was a terrible um, uh, plague on the grapevines in 2016, and many died. So if you look at uh, carefully on the label, it says Yivul Chul, which means the crop is from Chutz La'aret. So you have to buy a little more expensive wine to get the, uh, the wine from Israel, actually. Even if the company is from Israel. So special mitzvah to eat the fruits of Israel. If you're in Chutz La'aret, uh, Jaffa oranges are often readily found. Uh, dried fruit at a Jewish kosher Grocery store, you can probably find. There's a special mitzvah on Tu particularly to eat the fruit of the land of Israel. And so from the Kabbalists, it evolved to the Jewish renewal movement. And I'd like to now focus, and by the way, if you have any questions, please post them on the chat and we'll address them uh, after I talk, after the talk's over. So, uh, so there are a number of mitzvot in the Torah. And first I'm gonna talk philosophically about 
what is the Torah's outlook on environmentalism generally? And we know that this issue has been very politicized recently, especially in the United States. Um, there is one outlook, which is the resources are there, tap into them, use them. They're there to be used. It helps the economy, gives jobs, uh, gives independent oil independence. And the other view is that we have to be stewards of our environment. We have to keep a long-term view of what the implications are for using the resources of the earth and plan accordingly. So interesting, the Torah respects, reflects these, these uh, dualities. Uh, the first mitzvah in the Torah is to be fruitful and multiply, uh, to fill the land and to kivshuha, which you could translate as dominate it. Um, and so, uh, the Torah is telling us that mankind is supposed to use our abilities to tap into the resources of the world around us. That's part of our godly mission. And Rabbi Soloveitchik, whose philosophy was one of Torah and Torumada, Torah and engagement in the world, said it's a godly act to be involved in harnessing the divine world to use it for the good of mankind. Science, technology, we're very pro uh, technology, as we know, Israel's a startup nation, right? However, um, and it also, there's a mitzvah to, uh, to, to populate the world. And uh, we really do see that with Israeli technology and innovation, like the water drip systems, Israel's teaching the world to, fill, to feed billions of more people than previously thought possible. And with our water desalinization technology, we're, giving, we're providing the water. Um, now they have machines that'll draw water out of the air. So Israel is on the, on the cusp of it. And the point is that we do need to do it in a responsible way. It says that when Adam and Eve were put into the Garden of Eden, they were put in it la'avda ulashamra, to work it and to guard it. And the Siporno, the great 17th century Italian commentary says that to guard it means to draw from the fruits and that the fruits should, should replenish us. Um, but it also implies that to guard it is to make sure, uh, the Vilna Gaon says this, uh, to love does to work it. And Lashamra is to guard it mean that the animals do not destroy it, that it does not become destroyed. So there is this consciousness, and we're going to see many mitzvot, which shows that we need to be uh, stewards for the earth that we are on. So we're going to see that both of those uh, dimensions are there. Um, Jenna, I don't know why I'm not the main speaker. I, am I on the main view Yeah, here? you are. I am. Okay, on my computer, I'm not. So... A couple of other uh, texts I want to show you, which are more general philosophical um, and which kind of show us the Jewish consciousness of the, of the awareness of the world around us, of the, of the world of nature around us. And by the way, if you think about it, even just the holiday of Sukkot, right? On Sukkot, we go out into nature and we live outdoors for a week. 
we have a mitzvah of taking the four species. Each species has specific requirements. The, the, the uh, myrtle has to have three branches coming off one spot. The um, branch of the palm tree, the lulav, cannot be split down the middle, and the etrog cannot be blemished. So we spend time examining the, the intricacies of the details of nature that God has put into the world. And so Sukkot itself is an uh, ecological, environmental awareness holiday, if you think about it. Uh, I'd like to share with you, just looking at this text of Psalm 104. Now, many of the Psalms talk about nature and God's presence in nature. This one is particularly powerful. Do you see the text in front of you? And really, uh, what we see here is the ecological feedback uh, system of the world. So Psalm 104 which we say uh, on Rosh Chodesh after services on the new month. And um, it's a very beautiful one. And I'll, I'll, I'll read to you the, uh, the bolded. He sets the rafters of his lofts in the waters, makes the clouds his chariot, moves on the wings of the wind. So the first thing it's expressing is that we experience God in nature. And I know for me, um, I usually go to Minyan every day in the synagogue. I always try to find synagogues where there are windows where I can pray and also see nature. But for me, the last eight months of praying outdoors every day has been a very powerful experience. And for me, it brings me closer to the Almighty. And so, um, so that's what this is expressing. He established the earth on its foundation. You made the deep cover it as a garment. Now, interesting, it goes from the third person to the second person. All of a sudden, it's you. It's not he. We're starting to experience God in nature. We're talking directly to the Almighty. So the, the waters are now covering the earth. The mountains rise. The valleys sinking. God formed this incredible world we're in, right? And whether you hold its shifting titanic, titanic plates, uh, or whether it was all created in six days, uh, each approach can be understood in the Torah. You make the springs gush forth in torrents. So we have water, the source of all life, and the, the animals will giving drink to all the wild beasts. You make the grass grow for the cattle. So God brings the grass. Then the cattle eat the grass. Then man eats that which has grown from it. And he, with labor, he brings food out of the earth wine that cheers our hearts, oil that makes the face shine, bread that sustains us. And then the trees are drinking their fill, their roots are drawing from the land and birds make their nest in the trees. It's all, we see how every element is intertwined with another, right? This is really the biosphere, which we learned about in 10th grade biology is really King David was expressing this awareness of how every element in the world is linked to another, right? So uh, if you're walking out at night in Israel, sometimes there'll be bats flying by. Bats eat an incredible large amount of mosquitoes. But bats are good for us, as long as they don't come too close. Um, so the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rock badgers, the moons that it's season, the lions roar for prey, even the lions eating other animals. That's not violent, it's 
part of the cycle of life. And it says, you made them all with wisdom. The earth is full of your creations. And then below, you renew the face of the earth. And we'll talk about the idea of Tubishvat and renewal. So I wanted to share with you, with you this psalm, which really kind of expresses uh, the celebration of uh, nature. And Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, the famous Hasidic teacher, is very popular. His writings are very popular. He advocates going out into nature and just talking to God. And uh, you can read a lot about how, you know, uh, I was just reading an article. Um, I do a lot of backpacking and hiking. I was just in the, visiting my do our daughter in uh, the States, and we went to the national parks in Utah. And it's spectacular, unbelievable, God's nature. And last summer, we were on the Hermon, hiking up on the top of the mountain. So um, the, uh, I, uh, I get an email from this guy, which is called Light Bike Backpacking. He's a guide, and he gives tips on backpacking. And he posted an article about how psychologists and therapists say that uh, if we connect with nature, that it's very therapeutic. And people who suffer depression sit in the sun, get vitamin D, go out in nature, and uh, even, uh, I guess I am a little bit of a tree hugger. Uh, if you take off your shoes and walk on the earth, they've shown on the ultraviolet pictures how uh, the energy from the earth can permeate a person's body. So when I go to the Kalbach service, we do it outdoors in the park. So around those guys, you know, it's nothing, nothing new to take off your shoes, you know, that outgrowth of the Jewish renewal. And I do, I feel different. When I take off my shoes and walk in the grass, uh, I feel connected to the earth. I feel a different energy. So the Torah is talking about, the Psalm is talking about feeling God in nature and how that's a divine, beautiful thing. So from there, I'd like to now go to some of the, um, you know, Torah has beautiful philosophy. But as we know, an important part of Torah is... Um, Why are you changing it that way? Uh, can I ask everyone microphone, please? So an important part of the Torah is found in the mitzvot, because the mitzvot are really the concretization of the acts of our divine service. I guess I can... Uh, there we go. Come back here. Uh, so uh, the mitzvot are really a concretization of our divine service. And I'd like to share how a uh, number of the mitzvot are connected to environmental awareness. Now, the first one, the most striking, is that it says when you go and you make war and you besiege a city, you're not allowed to cut down the fruit trees. It's prohibited. Now, now, armies used to practice a scorched earth policy, which is that when they come in, they just destroy, they burn everything growing so that the people can't feed themselves from the earth. But even though it might help your enemies, the Talmud in Baba Kaman 91b uh, codifies the prohibition of cutting down a fruit tree. And um, so, there's the mitzvah is uh, to not destroy uh, any wanton destruction as learned from there. 
that it's called bal tashchit. Any wanton destruction of nature or even otherwise is forbidden in the Torah. So we already see an awareness of long-term stewardship of the earth and of the fruit that it provides. Trees provide shade, trees provide uh, anchoring the earth so it doesn't become the way some of the Israel was in the 19th century when the first Zionists got here. And by the way, I, uh, tangentially to this uh, prohibition of not wantonly destroying, there is discussion in the halachic literature about hunting, whether hunting would be permitted in the Torah, because you're destroying an animal. Now, if you're going to eat the meat, it would be permitted, but if it's, a, if it's game, you have to shecht it, you have to slaughter it with a specific manner. And if you're going to trap it, you cannot break, you cannot injure it by trapping it. So certainly, uh, the whole issue of not causing pain to animals is really another whole so discussion for it worthy of its own, uh, its own lecture, its own talk. But um, it does relate to wanton destroying. The Khatam uh, uh, Sofer said, he just was shocked when he was asked, are we allowed to hunt as Jews? He said, Jews don't hunt. It's not something Jews do. Go around killing animals for the sport. You could argue that there is a purpose. We're allowed to use animal for our purpose. Leather shoes, uh, whatever the human needs are, eating, but, um, and we could have a discussion on that, by the way, but not for tonight. But uh, to argue that, well, hunting gives me pleasure, so I'm gonna permit it, it's a big stretch. Okay, so another mitzvah, which is really um, very ecologically uh, conscious, is the Shemitah, the sabbatical year. Every seven years, farmers would let their land lie fallow. Now in school, I always remember learning about how farmers would rotate their fields. They would make a circle, do seven pie, pieces of the pie, and each year, one of the pieces of the pie, they would leave and they wouldn't work it so that the earth could regenerate its minerals and its fertility. So that makes total sense. So this mitzvah has a dimension which is very ecological, which is allowing the land to regenerate itself. However, interestingly, we do it every one at the same year, which logically doesn't, isn't so practical because what are you gonna eat on that year? And the Torah says, God will provide. He'll give you a bounty crop the year before. But uh, what it does is, the main message is telling us, you think this earth is yours? Or is telling us, no, the earth is God's. And he calls the shots. And that year when you let it line fallow, it's a recognition of the earth being from the divine, even for the farmer who works it. So that's another mitzvah with a song, strong uh, environmental consciousness. Another mitzvah is that there was a commandment that you had to have green belts around the cities of the Levites. So you would have, and it's really a model for all cities, you would have a thousand amas about, uh, I think half a mile, a kilometer uh, of grazing, of green belt, of garden, uh, parks, 
Then you would have a kilometer for the animals. And that's where the outskirts of the city would end. Practically, it also, in a way, prevents um, urban sprawl because you have to have this divider in between. The, the other thing which prevents urban sprawl is that any land, any agricultural land that was sold would go back to the original families and owners every 50 years. So it really discouraged a strong buildup of uh, real estate because you weren't building a permanent home. So green belts around the cities, land going back to its original owners, which promotes keeping it as agricultural land. These all point to uh, an, uh, an environmental consciousness, which is certainly being discussed today about urban sprawl, about the role of suburbs, um, about the dehumanization of humanity in large cities. Um, all of these are very topical to today's discussion around the environment. Another mitzvah, which is environmentally oriented, is also the mitzvah of Orla, that the first three years that a tree grows, someone gave my wife a uh, kumquat tree for her birthday a year and a half ago. And it's got 40 of these little orange kumquats. And I'm still trying to figure out, is it the first three years? They got it from a, from a, from a garden place, but it looks like it was grafted. So we haven't eaten it yet. And why do we leave, let it grow? We can't eat the fruit for the first three years. The commentaries have different opinions. A couple of them do say it's bad for your health. Uh, Maimonides says that the non-Jews used to use incantations when a tree was young to get it to grow. So we don't want people drawn into that. And the Kliyakar says it's symbolic to remind us that vegetation was created on the third day of creation. So we don't draw for three years from the fruit. So that's another mitzvah. The final one I wanted to talk about is pollution control and waste management. So the Talmud does have uh, directives in this. First of all, waste management in the context of war, you have to bury your droppings and it, every soldier had to carry a spade with them so they could bury after they went to the bathroom. And of course, there's a very sanitary part to this. We know a lot of diseases are transmitted through human feces and animal feces. Um, and there were also laws of canneries, which created a lot of uh, air pollution, which had to be on the outside of cities. Uh, cemeteries had to be outside cities. So there was very much a kind of, um, and you cannot pollute the air upwind of a town. So the tannery could not be put upwind if there was a regular wind blowing into the city. So from here you see a very sophisticated sense of stewardship, a sense of communal concern that the tanner says, well, I have to earn a living. We say, yeah, but you're impacting all these other people. And of course, this is very relevant for today, uh, for a time of global warming, where the world is just kind of like barreling forward and the implications are starting to be seen. And uh, I know there's a lot of debate about this as well and whether 
However you view it, whether you view it as part of the cycle, whether you say it's global warming, I don't think we can take the chance. So, um, so many of the mitzvot in the Torah orient us towards environmentalism, stewardship, communal consciousness of the impact of our, of our actions, and a personal connecting to nature and to being a steward in nature. And I'll end, I want to end with this. Tu Bishvat, we said, is the time where we kind of view that the next cycle of fruit and trees and plants is beginning, right? New year is a new beginning. So let me ask you. Now, in Israel this year, we've had an unbelievably mild winter. But even this incredibly mild winter, and certainly if you're in the States and you look out, it's 26 degrees. But even in Israel, uh, we have plants on our balcony. None of them are blooming yet. There's no flowers. It's in the late 50s and uh, upper 50s today, or, uh, but no flowers. So, and there won't be flowers for another month and a half. So how do we understand this? So that's actually something that's really amazing, which is that uh, six weeks before the usual spring warming, when, the, when uh, nature starts to come back alive again, six weeks before, the sap from the trees starts to rise in the tree. Who knew? I never knew that. It's one of those incredible systems that God planted into nature, so that by the time the warm weather comes, the trees are ready. I don't know if there are any Canadians there, but I think the Canadians, they stick their sap uh, spigots into the trees, I think, already in, in, the, in the end of winter. They don't wait till spring. So really what it's saying is a very powerful message. And the message is that there is hope for renewal. Every year the winter uh, comes and things die and the, tree, the leaves uh, wilt and the snow comes if you're in uh, more northern climates and animals go into hibernation and the sun is short. And then all of a sudden nature starts to sprout. The, the, the season starts to warm up, the plants start to rejuvenate, the animals come back out, the birds are chirping more, and you see the renewal of nature. And it's really a message for us that even in our darkest winters, even when we feel totally uh, spent, and it's been a long COVID season, in fact, probably started right after last year's Tu Bishvat. Um, unfortunately, there's going to be an anniversary. Uh, even after all of the long hibernation, there's always hope for renewal. And the sparks for that renewal are there even before the actual sprouting out of that energy. And so we have incredible resources within us to tap in and to find the first glimmerings of hope, the first glimmerings of renewal, the first glimmerings of in inner strength, whether it's to find love again after we've had a bad breakup, 
whether it's to regroup after needing to find a new job, whether it's we feel spiritually kind of depleted or empty and finding new potentials within ourselves for connection. So the winter will be over and new life is already ready to spring up within us. That is the message of Tubishvat. That's the message of hope for us personally, for the world, for the environment, which has an incredible ability to replenish itself as we see the miracles throughout the land of Israel of how over the last century, the desert has bloomed and, we, and sharing that with the entire world to make the entire world bloom. So uh, those are some of the messages of Tu B'Shvat on Wednesday night. Buy some fruits of the land of Israel. Uh, buy some wine that's more than, you know, 15 shekels a bottle. So you make sure it doesn't say Yivul Chul. If you're outside of Israel, car- uh, check the Carmel wine. Make sure it's, you know, spend a little more. And uh, in view from the, from the sanctity of the land through the fruits of the land. All right. Thank you, Rabbi Feldman. I learned so many things during that. And my favorite part for me was when you were talking about uh, taking off your shoes and walking through the grass and feeling the earth beneath you and uh, connecting with with the world around you. And I think one thing for me um, about the reason I love Tel Aviv so much is getting to be near the water and getting to be near the sea. And people ask me why that's so important. I say it's non-negotiable, especially because if you don't have a car, uh, it can be almost impossible to get to the shore, especially if you're somebody who keeps Shabbat. It can be difficult to take a 30-minute walk in the summer to the to the sea. So I know it's very important. And um, I have my orange here, which I told you I had one of my servants bring to me in the middle of this call, that being my sister. I would love to open the floor for some questions. I do have some questions myself, but um, I would love to hear from some of the people who are with us if they have any questions, anything that they heard that was interesting to them, because we do have a little bit of time to talk. So I'm going to give everyone a couple of moments Um, what we can do in the meantime is I wanted to know, I think you talked about this a little bit, Rabbi Feldman, but, um, and I heard it this, I've been going to shul. I've been very good about going to shul since being in New York. And I went on Saturday and I learned what you talked about, about there being four new years and about Tubishvat being one of those new years. And is that a new year that is based off of a desert? schedule how do we come up with that new year time in a time what timing situation well that's what i mentioned it's about six weeks before the springtime in israel right which usually starts around early march so it's kind of a prelude to when the sap will start to re-emerge in the trees with that image that you gave about sticking, shoving in the um, the funnel or whatever it is to test the sap and the maple trees in Canada, that was cool. Well, it's, well, it's still winter, right? So in Israel, it's not as dramatic as that, but uh, the trees are already starting to stir from within, okay. even before 
And I guess also it's a delineation that, you know, I said, if the it should bud before this date, it's part of the previous year's crop, but, um, and then those first fruits are brought on Shavuot, but, uh, but the chances are they won't be uh, buds. So it kind of is a good delineation time for the next year's crop and for the new fruit, new first fruits to come out and uh, be part of the new crop. It's sort of amazing that without modern technology, the ancient Hebrews and the people who were writing all of this down and, and making all of these rules, um, you know, they were able to know the how long, how many seasons that the tree needs to go through in order for the fruit to be healthy for your body. Uh, like you said, three years, and also there being the godly element of putting away crops for the Kohanim and the spacing and everything. It's just so unbelievable that without without Google, they were able to come up with this. So that's very cool. And all of those mitzvot we saw that show a very sophisticated environmentalist um, sensitivity to yes. stewardship of stewardship of the earth and to remaining connected to the earth, moving outdoors on Sukkot. Um, yeah, many dimensions. Absolutely revolutionary. I see Maor has a text out in front of him. Um, is there any question that you had or anything that you wanted to share with us, Maor? Okay. Does anyone have their own uh, particular Tubishvat? Uh, customs. By the way, uh, the custom was to particularly eat dried, why was it dried fruit? Because if you were in Europe and you wanted to eat fruit from Israel, you weren't getting fresh fruit. You weren't getting Jaffa oranges shipped over or flown over. So they would dry, eat dried food and particularly boxer, which is carob, was eaten because I think just because it's preserves dry, uh, it dries up and then it preserves on, on naturally on the tree even. There is so much carob in Israel and uh, one of my family friends who is a tour guide in Israel and has forever taunted me and made up tall tales told me that I should eat a piece of the carob because it tasted just like chocolate. And I will let you know that it does not taste just like chocolate and it's actually extremely bitter and you should be careful before you pop one of those bad boys open and uh, chew on it. So you were, you were probably eating one that was over dried. If you actually eat it when it's still somewhat moist, about 10, 15 years ago, there was a whole rage over carob being the substitute for, for chocolate in the health industry. Um, know, uh, consciousness industry. So uh, there is something to it. But I should mention that particularly on Tu Bishvat, uh, the, the fruits that we want to focus on are the uh, five fruits for indigenous to the land of Israel. Uh, anyone know what they are? Dates, uh, figs. Are we at figs? Dates, figs. Oranges? Oranges are a relatively recent. First. Excuse me? 
Right, so there are seven. The actually, there are seven species, but there are five fruits. So uh, wheat and barley are mentioned, uh, all, and then uh, grapes, dates, figs, olives, and pomegranates. Okay. Okay. So those are the seven species indigenous to the land of Israel. And if you eat them, there's a longer special after blessing, you say. You say an after blessing uh, that is a shortened version of the Birkat Amazon rather than the one line or in the Fashot. Also, according to some opinions, some of the mitzvot we talked about earlier of the first fruits, uh, according to some opinions, only apply to the, uh, seven, to the seven species. Um, another set of mitzvot which revolve around fruit is uh, the tithing, which was taken and given to the Kohanim, given to the Levites, given to the poor people. So there's a whole dimension of uh, farming and charity that is also an interesting discussion, although not totally germane to, to today. But according uh, to some opinions, some of these mitzvah were only done with the seven species. So that's also, so have a date, have a fig, pomegranate, uh, grapes, and olives. Olives are um, actually personally my favorite. I love olives. Um, my wife says that I was an olive farmer in my previous life. Um, but uh, those particularly, it's a mitzvah to eat on Tuesday. Um, absolutely. I never enjoyed olives before moving to Israel. And as soon as I got to Israel, I had the freshest, most delicious olives. It made all the difference. Um, I, I really had only been exposed to canned olives in the United States and never had a juicy, fresh one. And it made all the difference. And I love eating olives. And my friends have now made fun of me because I often wake up in the morning and start my day with a handful of olives, which is a little unusual, but it's, it gives me just the energy I need to go for a run on the boardwalk when I'm in Tel Aviv and make it back before making a, a full meal. And I find that it's one of Israel's most um, precious resources. So I, I, I'm sorry if you overheard my typing before. I didn't realize I was on, I was not muted, but I have included in our chat the Jewish Matters podcast, which <clears throat> Rabbi Feldman um, hosts and does a beautiful job. He has a different series going in which he highlights important Jewish people and also talks about spirituality, which is very nice. And I always enjoy that. We also have here in the chat, the Facebook, the Tribe Tel Aviv Facebook, so that if you would like to get notified, you can go to our Facebook page and click the like bucket button. You'll always see our events there. And I will also post those on the Facebook Live. As soon as we wrap up the live, I'll post those in the comments. I also run a news broadcast in the morning, the Israel Daily News podcast, where I do a roundup of the top five news stories coming out of Israel. And um, I also share some music from up and coming Israeli artists and Jewish artists, some of them who are with us right now, actually, 
have shared their music with me. And um, I always talk about the Sunset Series on the show. So we're all connected in that way. So again, whoever would like to get on our mailing list and get direct email invitations so that you never miss a Sunset Series, please put your email, send me your email or send Rabbi Feldman your email. We'll get you on the list so that you will never miss. And um, if I could just anyone... add that uh, tonight's talk will be posted on the Jewish Matters podcast. And also that uh, I already received my first vaccine. Yeah. Uh, two weeks. And then a week after that, I get my green passport. And they say they are going to be opening up, uh, start opening up events for people with green passports. So we'll see. Stay tuned. Uh, we don't know exactly when it'll come. But we are hoping that uh, sometime this spring, we might be able to start taking it live again. Ezra Tashem, with God's help. Not live on Facebook, live in person. <laughs> live in person, yeah. So stay tuned for that. And we are also planning the second part of the Sons of Abraham series, uh, putting together speakers from uh, Israel's neighbors who are uh, part of the Abraham Accords. So stay tuned for that as well. Other things that are coming up. And uh, have a happy Tubishvat. If anyone is watching us from the live and they would like to post on the live what they do to celebrate Tubishvat or what they felt inspired to do from watching our talk, we would love that engagement. You can write it on the Tribe Tel Aviv page. You can write it in the comments in the live. And um, we hope that you really do something to appreciate trees this week and enjoy the new year of the trees. Give yourself a little treat from the land of Israel, like Rabbi Feldman said, and be with us for part two of the Sunset Series. Please let us know how we can get you involved if you're interested. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, good night and good luck. Good night, everyone. And uh, you can all go out and hug a tree too. I did that yesterday. I literally did that yesterday because I was thinking about our talk. <laughs> and there were hikers on the trail behind me and they must have been thinking I was crazy. Oh, wow. Must have been a little cold though, no? Very cold, but we were warm when we were heading uphill. Okay. Upstate? Uh, Long Island, cold spring, cold spring harbor. This would be beautiful. Tomorrow I'm taking a little hike up to the highest spot in Beit Shemesh, which has a 360 view around over the Judean hills. Oh, beautiful. So, Must be the perfect temperature. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Okay, everyone. Good shot. You want to end the live, Rabbi Feldman? No. The hit. The hit.